Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast. This is the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And Aaron, we're going to be kicking it old school this week, aren't we? We're going to be cooking with gas. We're going to be, uh, yeah, decked out. Yeah, name your cliche and we're going to do it. (laughs) 1940s, man. i got to go 1940s slag. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So buckle up, folks, because this is episode 68 and we are going old school. We'll be back in a minute. Tony, it's September the 12th, 1954, and we're here in foggy London because Frank Sinatra, you know, the first teen idol, is having his first number one single in the UK singles chart, not his last number one, but his first, with a song that did not make number one in America for him called Three Coins in the Fountain. Are you a fan of the song at all? Yeah, I love Three Coins in a Fountain, and I think we're both thinking the same thing right now, aren't we? Because we're both giggling Go for it, go for it. I know we are. Go for it. (laughs) We're thinking of that classic Steve Martin scene when they're on the bus doing the sing-along on planes, trains, and automobiles when uh, Steve Martin (laughs) tries to get everybody singing Three Coins in the Fountain. Do you remember that? (laughs) It's it's such a great, first of all, it's a great movie. Yes. But what a great scene. What a great scene. Yes, I was thinking that too. As soon as you, when I saw the chart you put together and I saw the, the three, I thought, oh, we got to do three coins in the fountain just so I can bring, we can talk about Steve Martin and the sing along and trains plays. Have you ever heard Steve Martin play the banjo, by the way? I actually have, and, and he's phenomenal. Yes. Um, he is phenomenal. He's, a, he's a, an incredibly, it's like um, Martin Mole. Who used to be known for his comedy, he could really write some great folk songs. But anyway, yeah, Mike, um, yeah, Steve Martin is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, isn't he? So get the bell ready. Did you know that he did an album of banjo music featuring Paul McCartney playing bass? Oh, I'm going to ring the bell for that right now. I <laughs> I knew that he'd put out an album of banjo music, but I didn't know he had Paul McCartney on there. Wow, that's yeah. interesting fact number one today. That's that's pretty great. <laughs> So yeah, Three Coins in the Fountain won the Academy Award for Best Original Song in 54, but it wasn't a hit in America for Frankie. Um, believe it or not, you know who had the number one hit in America? Uh, no, who? The Four Aces. Oh. They had a number one with the song. And the song was written, uh, did you, this this fascinated me, that Sammy Kahn and Julie Stein wrote the song and recorded the song in a day. They wrote it in an hour produced a demo for it, and Frank recorded it the next day. Yeah, and he was one of those guys, right, who could just walk in the studio and lay it down in one take. And I, I, I remember reading that a lot of musicians were very intimidated by him because he would just come in, nail it, and, okay, thanks, fellas, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Mia's waiting for me. Yeah, no, um, he, yeah, he would just do that in one take or two takes. That's why there's not a lot of um, outtakes featuring Mr. Sinatra. And we were talking before the show started, and I, got, I love this little bit of trivia. Frankie Goes to Hollywood got their name from a headline about Sinatra making his first movie, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Yeah, you know what? We should ring the bell for that, too, because uh, a lot of people probably don't know that. So we've already rung the bell twice, and it's only segment number one. That's pretty good. I know. It's exciting, right? Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, a, you're, 
you're a Sinatra fan, aren't you? I like love, you, like, I love the chairman. Yeah, yeah, I love him. Yeah, me too. And he was a big fan of Bing Crosby's. Yeah, all those guys, eh, Sinatra. We're going to be talking about Tony Bennett later today. God, I love that era of music, actually. Oh, ring a ding. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and and he had he uh, he had a radio show for for a season called Harry Stone, which was just brilliant like i just he had a great voice and, and great actor and yeah i'm a big fan of sinatra myself now there's a couple things i wanted to mention here one is that the the term three coins in the fountain uh, refers to throwing a coin into the famous trevi fountain in rome while you're making a wish that's the first thing i wanted to point out but i wanted to point out the second thing is that in 1954 frank was still the girls still f uh, found frank pretty hot didn't they Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So 1954, but guess who kind of came, you know, started having his first little hints of fame in 1954, Mr. Elvis Presley. Oh, and, I thought you were talking about the Schwenge brothers. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as I, I always love the fact that after Elvis got out of the military, that, that Frank was so gracious to him on his show. But a few years earlier, when Elvis had first uh, burst onto the scene frank had said some things that were not complimentary at all and uh, do you remember that quote that he said you know he was he, he was basically uh ripping on elvis and saying that rock and roll was was pretty vile music and he uh he was pretty opinionated about that but to not but uh to sinatra's credit he came around and he i mean he later on called something the greatest love song of all time he was gracious to elvis I, I think, you know, rock and roll, it must have been an incredible time, Tony, to hear rock and roll for the first time. Right? It must, like, have, it must been. have been so revolutionary. And I mean, these old guys, and they weren't even old, but th these established artists were really skeptical of a new trend, a new fad. And, you know, rock and roll is going to last for what, two years? Well, yeah, exactly. no, but, you know, Sinatra could see there i mean he had his own record label reprise records and who was one of the first people he signed jimmy hendrix yeah exactly so there you go you know the writing was on the wall by that point now uh, we're going to do something we probably have never done we're about to ring the bell for the third time <laughs> in second it's like a jays one. game with bo bichette having three home runs now, i tell you there's a huge connection besides the fact that elvis appeared on uh, sinatra's variety show did you know i i'm sure the fans didn't know this but Elvis borrowed Frank Sinatra's private jet to go to his honeymoon. Did you know that? I did not know that. So let's ring, no, the, I didn't. Let's ring the bell for that. And, I mean, Elvis and Frank never really became friends. They, there was a lot of respect there. But uh, on Elvis's honeymoon, when, when him and Priscilla took off, they borrowed Frank's jet. Yep. I don't know that. Uh, I mean, Elvis, all these guys had their kind of friends from childhood. And that was their 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 root friendships, and I think they got very suspect of people post fame, don't you think, Tony? I I think so, and uh, you know, like I said, you know, Frank and uh, Elvis were never really uh, you couldn't call them friends. They had mutual respect for each other, and and uh, some admiration for each other as well, though. And and I thought that was just a pretty neat gesture for him to loan the jet to to Elvis so he could take off with his new bride. You know, well, I think it's cool because. In the way that Bing Crosby kind of made way for Frank, and they became friends. I mean, initially, Bing Crosby had his reservations about the Bobby Soxers. Um, 
they became friends and friendly. Elvis then kind of passed the baton onto Elvis, and then Elvis to the Beatles. I mean, it, 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 it's this lovely progression when you look at it that way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Now, let's just take a real quick minute here to talk about how Frank uh, burst onto the scene, because he got his first break in 35, 1935. He was only 20 years old. But this I love this story. Do you want to tell it? Because this is part of your notes here, and it's hilarious, you know, about his mother, of course, because Frank, being a good Italian boy, his mother (laughs) would have a very important role in his life, and she never stops being your mother. So uh, what did his mother do? Well, when he was about 20 years old, she approached a band called The Three Flashes and asked them to let him join the band. (laughs) Um, You know, and the the baritone of of the band, Frank, Tamburo stated that Frank kind of hung around us like we were gods or something, admitting that they only took him on board because he, get this, he owned a car (laughs) and he could drive the group around. (laughs) That's fantastic. But you know, it didn't take him long, right? I mean, he, uh, it was pretty obvious very early that there was something special about this young man and, and what a voice. Do you know what's funny, Tony? A, he had an amazing voice. I'm listening to, I was listening to an old comedy show of Jack Benny, and Frank Sinatra was the guest. And the jokes that went on about how skinny he was. Yes. And I kept hearing, do you know that? Like these jokes were, uh, Jack Benny says, so Frank, you must lose a lot of weight running around. And Frank goes, what do you mean, with girls? And he goes, no, in the shower, so you get wet. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was a skinny guy, yeah. And he was very sickly as a child as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but what was Frank? Maybe 135 soaking wet, do you think? Oh, if that. Yeah. I mean, the guy, he was... He, but I meant to ask you, though, did you... You've been to Italy, and I've not. Did you throw the coin into that fountain? Well, I didn't go to Rome when I was there, so no, unfortunately oh, not. okay. That'll be no. next time, I guess, yeah. Yeah, well... Actually, I was just talking about one of our upcoming road trips where we're going to drive to Nashville, or go to Nashville, fly or drive, whatever we're going to do. Yeah. But um, maybe we'll find a fountain there well it's exactly it. now let's take a look at what you picked for the chart so what did you i i uh this looks like a really interesting <laughs> list actually what'd you pick <laughs> well this is this is the singles charts in america so number one in england was elvis or sorry frank sinatra not elvis <laughs> he's coming yeah but um you know the, the, it's a mixed bag and you can see something coming in here especially at number one but i still find it fascinating that he did not have a hit in America with three coins because his version, I think, uh, is a definitive version. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. So number five was Kitty Callan in the chapel in the moonlight. Number four, this is a really weird song. Ralph Matiri with a song called Skokian. Do you know this song? I don't, but I'm assuming were you able to find it on Spotify? I haven't looked yet, but. If I do, listen to the song carefully because they actually sued the writers of Ringo Starr's No No Song. And later copies of that single will say No No Song slash um, uh, Skokian. So see if, see if you can hear it, okay? Oh, yeah, I will. Number three. Um, I'm not going to. I'm just going to. Number three. The 12-year-old Aaron comes out sometimes. Number three is the Gaylords with Little Shoemaker. <laughs> Yes, that's a very, uh, yeah, you wouldn't see a band called that today, that's for sure. No, and I don't think you'd have the word Little Shoemaker either. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Keebler Elves, I guess. Number two, Rosemary Clooney and Hey There. And number one, see, here's the beginning. The crew cuts, the crew cuts with Shaboom. 
which yeah. is like that was like that was like doo-wop right well that's right so as uh, mr dylan said the times they are a changing it's uh, it's just about to happen it is it's on the it's on the brink man it's on the brink now what do you say we do our next segment we're going to go to september the 14th and we're going to go to 2018 and this is we did say at the beginning that we're kicking it old school and trust us folks it's, we are still old school still old school we're going to be talking about someone who we both love dearly we're going to be talking about mr tony bennett so we will be right back So here we are at the Rainbow Room in New York City. It is September the 14th, 2018, and I love this story. So Verve Records is holding a launch party at the Rainbow Room to celebrate the release of Tony Bennett and Diana Krall's album, Love Is Here To Stay. And after the duo performed their rendition of Fascinating Rhythm, which is a great song, the Guinness Book of World Records, they had an adjudicator there, and he announced that Tony Bennett, who first recorded, I love this stage name, he recorded under the stage name of Joe Barry over 68 years earlier. He was now the title holder for the longest time between the release of an original recording and a re-recording of the same single. So isn't that fantastic? It's so, uh, what, what was his name? What did he record under? Joe Barry. What, where would that name come from? I have no idea. I guess they were just looking for something anglicized but uh you know what a great world record to set isn't that how that's that's fantastic isn't it yeah it is and i love tony bennett man I, that guy is the greatest okay tony i'm gonna put you on the spot okay you, you're not his. okay ready yep tony bennett or sinatra oh man i'm sorry i told you i was gonna put you on the spot <laughs> just because of his longevity i'm gonna go bennett i just love that guy but yeah me too i okay i'd say Sinatra has the more pure, better voice. But man, Tony Bennett is one cool cat, isn't he? Oh, yeah. listen, I saw him in, when I was in New York and we saw the Macy's Parade. He was on one of the floats. And this is like three, 2018. Still so cool. So yeah. cool. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Tell me the first word that comes to mind when I say Tony Bennett. Smile. Yeah, good one. I was going to say classy so yeah oh okay good. yeah yeah but i i i i now my mom is not italian but i grew up see i think we grew up the same way because i had tony bennett on the my mom played, loved tony bennett she loved sinatra and she even liked mary como so <laughs> and you know this duet that tony bennett and diana crawl did like diana crawl you know she's a, a native of british columbia she's from the naimo bc and what a career she's had. Billboard magazine named her the second greatest jazz artist of the decade from 2000 to 2009. Isn't that something? I had no idea. I, I mean, I knew she was popular and I knew that she had a huge following and she was well-respected. That surprised me. I, I, I don't think it's, I think it's warranted. I mean, she's, well, let me ask you. I mean, what, what, what do you think of her? I love, love Diana Krall. Uh, when I did my jazz studies course with the senior students, and we spent a lot of time talking about her and what a career she's had. She's sold a boatload of records, especially for a jazz artist, because jazz records now make up such a small percentage of 
record sales and streams and everything, but uh, she had a boatload. She sold a lot. Now, what's the connection to the Beatles with her? Do you know? Um, no, I don't. What's the connection to the Beatles? Am I going to be ringing the bell again here? Well, you might. This is about Diana Krall and Paul McCartney and the connection. And I don't know if you know this or not, but in 2012, McCartney released an album called Kisses on the Bottom, which was kind of old songs. He didn't actually play on the album, um, but he just sang. And Diana Krall was the music arranger and played piano on the entire album and backed him up. Ring that bell. And that is bell number four today. We are on fire, my friend. <laughs> I love her. I think she's she's remarkably talented. But she, I haven't heard much from her lately. Is she kind of semi-retired? Or? Well, I think she's still touring, but I haven't. I don't know if she's had any albums recently or not. You know, um, I know I know she's touring still though. And who's her husband? Oh, her husband. Should we now? I think. Do you think most people know this, or is this bell ringing moment number five? I, that's a good question. I think I I wonder because I, I mean. I say it's bell ringing. Okay, so I'm going to announce it. And then, uh, so she is married to, of all people, Elvis Costello. So let's ring that bell number, time number five. Wow. But what, a, what an unlikely pairing, eh? <laughs> and he and he was married to the bass player from the Pogues, Kate Arden, which made a bit more sense to in terms of being Elvis Costello. But yeah, that's kind of an un, unusual pairing. And he's... I think they've performed together, haven't they? They have, have performed. I, his, I've seen them perform together. Yep. You're not live. I've seen it on video. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Was she ever on his show? Because he had a TV show for a short while. I wonder if she was ever on that. Now, are you talking about the show that uh, where Elton John was on it, where El, where he was interviewing like Elton John and he, and he had Diana Krall on there as well? Is that the one you're talking about? That's right. About? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, what was that called? Uh, CBC had that for a while. They did, and I, it's just, I'm drawing a blank. Lou Reed was even on the show. Yeah, it was a great lineup on that. I love that show. I mean, I'm not always a huge fan of the CBC these days. Okay, but let me see if I can Google it real quick, okay? And okay. I, just, I don't like using Google, but we're going to do it one this time, okay? Yeah, go on the Google machine and see if you can pull it up here. Uh, spectacular or something? Was that what it's called? Yes, Spectacle. spectacle. Oh, Spectacle. Yes, yes, yes. Great show. As soon show. as you said it, it, it rang a bell. It's Spectacle, yes. But anyway, yeah, so Elvis Costello is married to Diana Krall. So you've got an interesting chart here. What, what chart is this? What'd you pick? Well, it's funny because um, this is 2018, right? Yeah. And here we're talking about Tony Bennett and Diana Krall. And their album, they did an album together, which actually made number one. It was a very big album. And I have to agree with you. I think she was part of that crew that brought jazz into the forefront for a very short time, which mm-hmm. I was... I was happy about it. Here's the top five albums in America. Uh, now, this is really important because there's an album number one. I'm really happy to folks. see that. Yeah, I'm really happy to see that. But yeah, go ahead. I was so happy. Yes. Number five, Drake, Scorpion album. Number don't know four. It. I'm just saying, don't know it. Don't listen to <laughs> it. <haven't heard>, nope. <laughs> not, a, not, a, not a chance to tell that I know any songs on it. Number four, I've never even heard of Russ and an album called Zoo. Okay, that makes two of us, so. Okay, number three, <laughs> Lauren Diego with Look Up Child. I'm sorry, Lauren. You might be great, but I don't know you. Yeah, zero for three for me as well. I'm not having a good day here. No, number two is an album I wouldn't even consider listening to nor buying. Eminem with Kamikaze. Okay. And number one. Yay, yay Paul McCartney. The yep. 
<laughs> Egypt Station. And you know, Paul McCartney, Egypt Station, Eminem was so put out that McCartney beat him to number one that he actually demanded that um, Billboard reassess the chart to make sure it was accurate. Oh my gosh, seriously? Yeah, seriously. You know, hey, hey, here's a thought, Eminem. Grow up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that sucks. And, uh, so Paul McCartney, number one with Egypt Station, and he had done an album with um, Dinah Craw that also made number three, Code Kisses on the Bottom, two years prior. So there you go. Oh, very nice. Now, you know what? I'm kind of feeling like a break here, and this is a good time for a classic commercial. So what do you say? We queue up the commercial, and we'll be right back. See these two portable radios? Well, watch this. Let her go, Betsy. Sorry, friend. You old-style portables have to go. But look at our new RCA Victor portable radio. Came through without a chip. Here's the world's first and only portable radio in the non-breakable impact case. So rugged, it's the only radio case with a five-year guarantee against chipping, cracking, or breaking in normal use. Of course... A tube might jar loose, but that's easily fixed. The important thing is RCA Victor's non-breakable impact case means no chipping, no cracking, no breaking. And hear that tone. It's RCA Victor's great golden throat sound. See the world's only portables with a non-breakable impact case as low as $27.95 at your RCA Victor dealer. Tony, we're September the 14th, no, September the 15th in 1965, and the Ford Motor Company is going to introduce an 8-track tape player for a car. It's the first time this is being optioned for a car. I have a question. Now, you're considerably younger than me. Okay. Did you have any 8-tracks growing up? I never owned any eight tracks, but I remember one of my dad's cars had an eight track player, but I barely, barely remember that. Did you? I, I do. And I still have them. Oh, and, yeah? uh, yeah, eight tracks were a bit of a thorn in everyone's side. And for those of you too young to remember, how do you describe an eight track? It was pre cassette. First of all. Yeah. They, they kind of look like, um, like a video game cartridge. Don't you think? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and no they were notoriously unreliable, right? <laughs> Those little sponges at the top would always fall off. Yeah. <laughs> and they and and the thing about eight track tapes, Tony, is that they were they were comprised of four, I guess, sequences, and they all had to be equal. All four had to be the exact same length. So that meant that. If you listen to Pink Floyd on a track, say, Dark Side of the Moon, the running order is completely different than the album because they had to move things around so that each segment was the exact same length. And then they used to do really weird things on a tracks. Like I have Sgt. Pepper on a track where they actually make the reprise of Sgt. Pepper longer so it fits the... Because you couldn't have silence. And then sometimes they'd cut a song in the middle. I don't know if you remember that or not, but it'd be like... Freebird, the guitar solo would fade out in the click, click. But yeah, so 1965, the Ford Motor Company. But here's the joke. Eight tracks weren't really available until 1966. So they were just jumping the gun. They they knew something was coming, I guess. You know, and, and Tony, when we go to Detroit, if you if we get time to go to the Ford Museum, you'll oh, see the yeah, first 
you know, see the car with the the A truck. It's uh, okay. Quiz time. Yeah, uh, you can look at the notes. What was the last A track ever made? So this is pretty cool, folks. And uh, you know what? We're going to be ringing the bell for the sixth time here. I think we're setting a record in. So because <laughs> this is 1988, isn't that? Well, we'll count this one right as. Being, yeah, we're not going to yeah, count absolutely. the uh, the cheap trick no. one now because that was a bit of a not gimmick. Yet, no. Um, so the last one was 1988. It was Fleetwood Mac's greatest hits. And that was the very last eight track ever made. So I'm going to ring the bell. And that's wild, isn't it? I bet you didn't. I mean, I'll bet you people. And I, mean, I was a bit, I don't remember eight tracks in the eighties. To oh, me, they're yeah, not at all. Not at all. You now, know? you know, before we go on to more eight track stuff, at least, you know, as, as unreliable as they were, they sure were a step up from something that we talked about. Do you remember? It must've been. Oh, way back in the 20s or something for this show. We talked about the in-dash turntable. Do you remember that? I do. (laughs) (laughs) So the 8-track would be a whole lot better than the in-dash turntable. Well, it it was a step up, and um, but not by much. No, no, I'm I'm being mean. I'm being mean. But then there's the other 8-track. You see, 8-tracks, the turntable... Now, I don't know if you've driven in Toronto lately, but man, if you drive down Dufferin with a record player, you're going to be skipping a lot of songs. <laughs> okay, so one of the rarest, there's two very rare A-tracks, and people are going to have to go to their closets or their attics right now to see if they have either one of these. One is the Beatles' 20 Greatest Hits, an album that came out in the 80s. Only 10 A-tracks were made because... As soon as they did it, they thought, no, no one's going to buy this on a track. So 10 exist. Oh, wow. And none have ever sold. The one that has sold, however, is a Frank Sinatra. See, look at the connections. I've got this album not on a track, but yeah. Do you really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you got to talk about the album because I'm going to mispronounce his name. So I need you to, to go in there and do this one. Okay, so Frank Sinatra and Antonio Carlos Jobim, uh, he was a Latin jazz musician and so a lot of our bossa nova and um you know uh think of songs like um uh, girl from ipanema that kind of style uh think of all those uh latin jazz tunes that became popular and that was that was jobim's influence but yeah frank sinatra and antonio carlos jobim had a great album and uh what's this it was their it was their second album together wasn't it and i've never heard it um, full disclosure. It, it's, it's, is it good? It's really, it sounds well, interesting to me. Well, the music's fantastic. I love that Latin jazz. And, uh, you know, Rick and I p- actually play quite a bit of that stuff in our sets. It's just so accessible. Yeah, it's great. Now, if you had that on a track, Tony, that a track is worth $5,000. Ooh, that's pretty nice. Wow. That's a rarity. It's a rarity. Yeah. So you see, there's money in them that are a tracks. Yeah. Now this one, I, I love this. Go ahead with the, what Cheap Trick did here. This is this is a little bit of a Cheap Trick by Cheap Trick, don't you think? Okay, I, are you a fan of Cheap Trick by any chance? Um, somewhat. Like I never like love them, but I like them. Does that make sense? I I like them more than I like their music. If that makes sense, like yeah, I think they're, yeah. they're they're fun guys. Their Christmas album is fun, and and uh, I love. A lot, but in two thousand and nine, cassettes were kind of making a little bit of a comeback, and they start now. They're everything is on cassette again, so they decided on their website to release an album. But they released it for a limited time on on a track. 
of, of course, Cheap Trick released it on eight track, you know. Um, I'm surprised there was even an eight track factory running somewhere to do that. Probably in Czechoslovakia or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> yep, I, I imagine those, what are those, Ladas or Skodas? They might have uh, <laughs> <Ladas>. players <laughs> still come with an in-dash eight-track player. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure it does. I had a friend who had a Lada, and, and it would literally, you'd be driving, and the thing vibrated so much, you would see the screws coming out. Like, Hang on, I got I to screw this back in, Aaron. Oh, okay. <laughs> It just was like, <laughs> I'm sure they do still have each other. I would, I, I just thought it was funny that Cheap Trick would put out an A-Track. And, yeah. and um, unfortunately, the, the reel-to-reel um, market hasn't come back yet. Do you remember that in the 60s, you could, before cassettes, people used to buy things on reel-to-reel. And yeah. actually, if you can find those reel-to-reel tapes, Tony, they're the best sounding. They sound amazing to this day. Oh, wow. Now, let's talk about your chart here. So what did you pick for, for this time period? Well, and none of these albums were made it to A track until 1966. I want to put that on your on the table. And the very first Beatle A track tape, by the way, for those of you keeping score, was the Hard Day's Night in 1966. Oh, okay. But here's the top five albums because we're talking about A track and what was you know what would be considered for the A track at the time. Number five was the Beach Boys, Summer Days and Summer Nights. You know. If I do a chart in the 60s that doesn't have the sound of music, I'll be I was going to say, this one appears everywhere, doesn't it? Every, I mean, this is 65, and it's still freaking number four. Soundtrack to the sound of music. Number three, The Rolling Stones, Out of Our Heads, which had been out of, was number one the week prior, but kicked out of number one by the current number one. Number two is Sunny and Cher with Look at Us. And number one. So 1990, in 2018, Paul McCartney was number one, but in 1965, the Beatles were number one with their soundtrack to Help. And Jeff, they, and they were album. also at uh, number eight, weren't they, on that chart? With Beatles six. So again, you when we talk about how big Elvis and Beatles and Sinatra was, I mean, you got to look at the charts and just see, here they are in 1965, two of the top 10 albums are the Beatles. So there you go. Oh, fantastic. Now, speaking of Elvis Presley, since you've said that, that means th- that it's time for our From Memphis to Merseyside moment, and we've got a good one. So we will be right back with some talk about Elvis Presley. So we're flipping back to September 15th, 1956, and no shock here, but Elvis Presley, this is a chart story. Elvis Presley started a five-week run at number one on the U.S. charts with Don't Be Cruel, and that track went on to become his biggest-selling single. It has six million sales now, I found by that 1961. Did you, yeah. Were you surprised by that, that I was, stat? I was very, very surprised by that, yeah. Now, this is the best part, though. The double-sided hit, it had Hound Dog on the B-side, so double threat there. Don't Be Cruel on one side, and on the other side, the B-side, Hound Dog. And it became the most successful on Billboard's Hot 100 chart. So one side reached number one on the chart, and the other number two. And these two songs spent a combined 55 weeks in that top 100 in 1956 and 1957. So that just goes to show you, by that time, Elvis was huge. He was massive, but... Were you surprised that that was his biggest selling single of all time, Tony? I mean, I'm, I'm a bit surprised by that. 
I am surprised too, especially when you look at his discography, right? Like, but I mean, great song, but yeah, shocked. See, he was getting ready to kick down the doors and take over from Frankie and Frankie took over from Bing. So it's all, and maybe you know better than I, Sinatra, um, Elvis, I know he loved R&B music, but did he have a respect for Sinatra's too, or do you know? Uh, he had a, a respect for Sinatra's voice, his stylings, you know. Um, mm. I don't think he appreciated at all uh, Frank's comments about him <laughs> and about rock and roll. He was pretty upset about that. Again, understandably, right? I mean, yeah. they're kind of harsh, so... But don't be cruel. Have you ever heard um, Paul McCartney do Don't Be Cruel? I have not. I'm going to put that on the playlist. How about that? Yeah, please do. And folks, if you're not aware, every week Aaron does up a Spotify playlist that goes along with the episode so that, you know, you've got some listening on your way to work in the morning. If you're done listening to the podcast, check out the Spotify playlist. There's always great tunes on there. And there's always a a neat uh, connection to what's on the playlist and what we're talking about on the show. So give it a listen. Absolutely. Thank you, Tony. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for doing that. So <laughs> Elvis Presley, that was our from Memphis to Merseyside moment. And Aaron, what a fun uh, road trip this was. And it's nice, isn't it? To kick it old school, talk about guys like Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, talk about eight tracks. Maybe have Frank Sinatra on a track, you know, I mean, because he did put them out. I mean, there's lots of a tracks of Sinatra, I'll tell you. Yeah, for sure. So, folks, let's do what we always do and give some credit where credit is due. First of all, let's thank our uh, house musician here, Rick Denis, for writing the music that you hear on the show. The particular tracks we're using today is uh, one of his called Slide On Up, and it's our theme music. And uh, Rick is a great writer. And of course, uh, full disclosure, he is also my musical partner in the Somerset Combo and great guy. And second of all, I think we need to thank the fans, don't we, Aaron? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for letting us in your headphones every week. We really appreciate it. You've stuck around for 68 episodes so far, and we look forward to producing many, many more. But in the meantime, Aaron, if the man is getting you down, what do you do? Just keep on rocking, because that's basically it, Tony. So thanks for listening, folks, and we'll see you next time.